Oh my god, what's up party people? And welcome to season six of Romancing Nancy Drew. I'm your host, Indy Nickerson, which stands for Nancy Drew Nickerson. You can find me at that handle on Twitter, and you can also find me at Romancing Nancy on Twitter if you are so inclined. I know a lot of other shows are like, please rate, like, review, and hit stars, and like, and everything on wherever you're getting your podcast, which... It feels like this should just be a secret between us, doesn't it? That you're listening to me just talk about how Nancy and Ned are just banging each other's brains out. So, you do you. If you feel the need, I I sincerely don't care. (laughs) (laughs) This week's episode is going to deal with Nancy Dream Mystery Stories number 21, I think we're at. This is um, the... Secret in the Old Attic, which is a fantastic book, which is which was published in 1944. We're back with the OGs, y'all. We're, we're back with those. So we, of course, are just like knee-deep in World War II at this point, as you know. And this book has three different things going on in it. The A plot is that Nancy's father has been asked to help recover some music that has been gone missing like sheet music the b plot is that nancy's father has also been tasked with finding out if somebody stole a formula from somebody's factory and the c plot is the most important plot of all and this is why the fuck has ned nickerson not invited nancy drew to the next emerson college dance oh my god i am being 100 percent serious about that that is that is exactly the c plot to this mystery and of course it's the one that means the most to me and i'm probably gonna fucking read aloud to you because oh my god oh my god okay so the a plot um also spoiler slash content warning there's a bunch of fucking racism in this one like long ago racism but also just hitting it on all cylinders, 1944 racism, so, um, for the A-plot, Nancy's father's client is named Philip March, and he was actually a person who fought in World War One, which, of course, at that time would have been the Great War. He fought in that. His son, um, fought in another war and died four years ago, which would have been 1940, which was before the United States had entered World War II, but doesn't mean that he didn't go off to fight in some something related to World War II. But anyway, he died in a foreign land, quote unquote. Um, he died and his wife died pretty soon after, and so he left his daughter Susan, who um, is now kind of quasi in the custody of the grandfather. Um, Philip old Philip had named his son Philip, of course, because fuck you. So he goes by Phip because he could not pronounce his name when he was little. Sure. Sure, honey. That's fine. Um, just a lot of weird stuff. Philip with one L of course. So, um, Philip March, the senior who is pretty much the only, we'll, we'll refer to the other one as Phip, which is what the book does. Um, Philip is trying to find his son's sheet music because he wants to be able to provide for Susan. And just like with all the other people that Nancy helps out in these books, um, he lives in a decrepit mansion <laughs> that's just falling apart at the seams. He's good people who have hit on bad times, um, except for in this case, it's a white man. So, interesting. But, of course, he's trying to find money to help out his young, fragile, six-year-old granddaughter. So, I mean, we're still hitting on the Nancy's helping out what is an orphan's thing. But also, he's infirm. Like, when he comes over to the house to talk to Nancy and her father about things, um, he, like, fucking faints right in front of him. And they're like, what the fuck? And so they call a doctor, and he's like, yeah, he's malnourished. So, like, maybe pour some broth into this old man. And Hannah, of course, is like, girl, I got broth on hand at all times, so let me hook you up. Anyway, Phip, the younger um, dead person, um, apparently like to write music. And so the elder, his father is like, if I could find his music and sell it, then I'd be able to provide for my daughter because his music kicked fucking ass. And so, I mean, all y'all are going to be singing it. Side note, cause I've watched enough stuff about this. Like I'm pretty sure 1944 falls into this where people wouldn't have been able to, 
Mm, this might have been at the beginning of this. They weren't able to buy records as easily. Like, they weren't able to buy stuff that was actually recorded so they could listen to it as easily. Like, you'd listen to the radio. And if you wanted to listen to something over and over, you'd, you'd go buy this fucking sheet music for it. And you would play it your fucking self. So, um, that's part of it. Like, Nancy, at one point in the book, actually goes out and buys sheet music based on something that she heard on the radio. And then plays it. And the old dude's like, yes, yes, exactly, yes. So, of course, this is well before, you know... People just download that shit on Napster. This is well before all that shit would have happened. So, yes. The problem is that the old dude has no idea where the sheet music would be. None. None. He's like, I've searched. I don't know. So, I think that there are some clues in these love letters. Which is how the book opens, actually. Carson walks in with a bundle of letters that's wrapped in a ribbon. And is like, so guess who's got a stack of love letters other than you because Ned and Nancy's like why do you have a bunch of love letters and Carson's like because old dude thinks that there are clues to this mystery hidden in these love letters and I ain't in the mood and Nancy's like girl hand those things over I'm 100% in that mood Real Housewives is not on right now let me explore this to whatever degree I can so she's reading over them and at at one point, this is very early in the book, Carson looks over at her and reflects on the fact that she is well-liked by all of her peers, and he is, of course, endlessly proud of her. But, of course, he refers to Bess and George as her best friends, and then says that there's Ned, of course, her special escort, who he knows that one day Nancy and Ned will settle down and he will take Nancy away from Carson, but he's hoping that that day will not happen yet. And I'm like, <sighs> because, bitch... Y'all, if you accompanied me on the journey that was letters when I wrote that Nancy and Ned got secretly married during World War II, I'm like, it's already happened. It's already happened. It's fine. I mean, could I read the rest of this series as though they're secretly married? Bitch, we've met. You know me. I'm 100% that bitch. But anyway, so, so Nancy reads over the letters and she's like, I don't know. I sincerely don't know. Like, maybe there are clues in here, but I don't know enough about this stuff that's going on. So let me, let me go out there. Let me see if I can just track the, that shit down. And Carson's like, girl, you do you. I'm going to be off doing legal things. So, um, meanwhile, <laughs> This is one of those books that shifts to third-person point of view occasionally. Meanwhile, a messenger approaches Nancy's porch, and a girl dashes across the street and is like, Oh, hi, is that a telegram for Nancy Drew? I will take it. And Nancy is none the wiser, has no idea what's going on. So this bitch interferes and intercepts that telegram and takes it away. And she's like, I hope she never finds out what I've done. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm just gonna... Let's go ahead and rip this band-aid off. The girl in question is named Diane Dite, and Diane has set her sights on Ned, and she wants to bang that. She wants to get all up on that, but the problem is, of course, that the Emerson College dance is coming up. Remember? The C-plot. And she needs to make sure that Ned does not invite Nancy to the dance, because that would foil all of her plans. Of course, there's the only dance that's important is the next dance. Diane has her priorities in order. So she intercepts Ned's telegram, which is why she was like loitering on Nancy's porch, just casually chain smoking some cigarettes and waiting for shit to go down. Um, she takes the telegram. She answers it because, you know, telegrams are not written in handwriting. So she's like, oh, I'm on a trip with my father. Bye. <laughs> and so Nancy never gets the invitation because Ned sends a telegram, receives a response back for the telegram, and just assumes that nothing, no shenanigans have happened, which honestly, like, that seems reasonable. One does not expect one's telegram to be intercepted. So, so of course, the next time Nancy sees Bess and George, which, side note, trans rights, says George, because when she walks in, Hannah's like, Oh my God, girl, if you cut your hair any shorter, like people are already mistaking you for a boy. And George is like, what would be the problem with that? And I'm like, while there's a lot of reading of George's, of George's a lesbian, like I think that if you wanted to read George's trans, like you would not have to reach real far to get there from here. She's like, but Buck still loves me. So he has invited me to the dance. So I guess he's okay with his short hair. And I'm like, again, I've got questions about Buck's preferences, but that is okay. It's all okay. It's fine. So, yeah. Of course, George and Buster are like, oh my God, hasn't that invited you to the dance yet? And Nancy's like, no. 
um, I didn't know there was a dance. And they're like, what? What are you, what are you talking about? Of course there's a dance. And of course Ned's going, I'm, I don't know why he hasn't already invited you. Like he should be at your door right now on his knees with a dozen roses. What is happening? So, and Nancy feels embarrassed over it because she's like, I would have thought that he would have, like, she's trying to be super low key about it. But also she's like, why hasn't he invited me? Which yes, yes, 100% yes. Why hasn't he invited you? He, he tried. You don't know this. It's fine. It's fine. Like they try to like push this off until the end where it's like clearly nefarious things. And of course, of course, nefarious things. Why the fuck would Ned not invite? And this is even what Bess and George say. They're like, you are the most popular girl who has ever been in an Emerson dance. Like if they're going to crown some people queen, it's going to be you. So why the fuck would Ned not invite you? Like everyone's going to be commenting on this. Everyone knows that y'all are together. Oh my God, there's a point in the book where Nancy sees somebody that she saw during Clue in the Jewel Box and who was like, you and that handsome young man who made such a good couple with you. I have not seen him in a hot minute. And Nancy's like, yeah, so um, that's a story for another time by because she feels super embarrassed about it. Because again, everybody in fucking River Heights knows that the two of them are like pre-pre-engaged. It is going to happen. She's going to wear her mom's dress. It's going to be fantastic. Anyway, so... So Bess and George are like, this is some fucked up shit. Like, we're going to need to track this down, but also we're not going to put enough effort into it to track this down because that would, that would ruin the C-plot before it even begins. So, so Nancy decides she has to head out to Philip March's house. And this is like, remember how he like fucking fainted when he came over? Yeah, they had to like keep him at their house for a while and... Then they drove him home. He has no fucking telephone. When they walk up to the house, um, Philip March is like, yes, my house is like approximately 200 years old. Okay, again, this book was published in 1944. This would mean that the house dates back to the 1740s. And he's like, oh, BT dubs, slave quarters. Slave quarters. So yeah, he's like, do you want to take a tour? And Nancy's like, of course. And um, Bess and George come along and Bess is just rhapsodizing over this. She's like, oh my God, I can just imagine the slaves in here. And you're like, Bess, I swear to God, you're sounding like you would have a fucking plantation wedding and I am not cool with it. You need to just shut the fuck up. But anyway, they're looking around and the slave quarters have been converted to stables and the jockeys stayed over where the slave quarters had been, it's all super, super gross and disturbing and like making your skin crawl and everything that you've ever imagined. Like, because the word slave quarters, I did not count the number of times that it is used in this book, but it is a non-zero number. Clearly. So yeah, they get to go toward the former slave quarters. Um, that part of the house is better built than the rest of the house. Like it's actually built out of stone and the rest of the house looks like maybe a, a, brisk wind might topple some things, but a tree fucking falls on the house during this book, and they're like, oh, it's just a scratch. It just grazed the house. We're fine. Um, even though it seems quite rickety, much like the Adams Family Mansion, it's fine. So, Nancy looks around the house, and, um, again, because we're talking about destitute white people, um, Dude has sold, like, everything that he could get away with that looked like it would get him some money. He'd been pawning shit left and right. So Nancy goes around the house, and she's like, I can see that these rooms would have been really nice, but, like, they've got cheap furniture in them, so clearly he's been selling off the good stuff. Like, there's a nice dining room set, but the china cabinet's empty. Like, yeah, yeah. So Nancy looks around the house, and she's like, there's nowhere to put any music. Like, he'd been selling shit. There's nowhere here. This is also really reminiscent of um the one where Nancy was staying with the two sisters and she kept hearing creepy stuff and stuff kept going missing from the house except for not. But there's definitely this sense of like there's an intruder in the house and they are stalking around and they are malevolent and this is all bad and yeah. So um Nancy's just wandering around, looking around the house, trying to see where possibly, like, anything could be hidden. She goes in her room and sees a piano, and she's like, ah, but, like, that's, like, literally it in the room. Yeah. So, she hears a scream from downstairs and goes downstairs to find Philip March talking to the person who was watching his granddaughter for him. And she's like, yeah, um, so, funny story, she's gone. We don't know where. This happened yesterday. I was just hoping that she would wander back. Um... 
So, of course, Nancy's like, are you fucking serious? You, what? What the fuck? What the literal fuck? So, anyway, she um goes back to River Heights, grabs her dad, who apparently leads a band of old people who like to look for missing people, which I guess was a thing in the 40s. You know, like, gotta keep the old people busy. It's like their version of the WPA is finding missing people by forming a circle. <laughs> and holding hands and possibly chanting. I don't know. Um, Yeah. So they do a search party. Um, Nancy gets some more people. Anyway, they, they just gather everybody that they can possibly find. And to, like, Nancy's fucking exhausted and everything is terrible. And then she has the sudden idea that maybe Susan returned to her grandfather's house while he was at their house. And so she tried to get in and couldn't. So Nancy's like, where could she be that maybe if the door had been locked, she would have gone to. So she's like, "Mm, the barn slash slave quarters slash everything. So she goes in there and Bess and George are like, well, I'm sure that she's, I'm sure people have searched in here. And Nancy's like, let's just check in here. So she finds Susan in the hayloft. I think, um, like clearly feverish and like, I came to see my granddad, but he was not here and and I feel bad. And Nancy's like, fucking hell, what the fuck are you doing? How did you get here? And Susan's like, well, I saw some gypsies and followed them. And then I ended up here and my grandfather was not here and I'm, I'm feeling really sad. So Nancy takes her inside and, um, Mr. March is like, I don't know what to do do about a sick child like the nancy best and george look at her and they're like measles yep this is measles which implies a bunch of things first that measles was super prevalent which yeah second that they've been around it enough to recognize it third that they're not afraid of getting it so they probably already had it all sorts of things um yeah so Nancy's like, let me get Effie, that completely ditzy idiot who is Hannah's niece, to come over and just help be a nursemaid for reasons. So she calls Effie and Effie's like, is this house going to be creepy? And Nancy's like, well, yeah. And Effie's like, I'm not here for creepy houses. And Nancy's like, I'll be there most of the time. It'll be fine. Just get in the car. Just get in the fucking car. (laughs) So they get over there and Effie's like... Uh, I'm I'm not here for this shit, but but okay, okay. I mean, she's a cute little girl. I can make this work. So, because like you know, the grandfather's like not equal to the task of caring for his granddaughter. Like the the thing just keeps drilling that home. But anyway, Nancy goes up in the attic, and she goes up in the attic like forty two times in this book. So I'm gonna just not remember what happened when. You need to know that. So. During one of the first times she goes up in the attic, and Bess and George go up with her often, but not always. Also, there's apparently one flashlight in all of the county where Nancy lives. So, okay, like, one time she breaks the flashlight. One time she, like, someone else is using the flashlight, so she has to use a candle. So, just all sorts of bad things. Also, a candle um, in pitch darkness does absolutely nothing, but okay. I, I like your optimism. I like that you're pretending that this would do absolutely anything. Why the fuck does this place not have oil lamps? What are you doing with your life? Anyway, so she goes up there and Effie ends up going up there too at this point because Effie, of course, is both very interested in mysteries and also like a complete scaredy cat. She's like Bess, but way, way worse. Just just way, way worse because at least Bess tries. Um, so they go up there and they're looking around and Nancy opens up a wardrobe and a skeleton comes out. I'm going to note that I've read this book multiple times and it was not until this time that I realized what was happening here. Um, the skeleton like pops out and Nancy, of course, is at at first she's like, you know, a little nonplussed as one would be. We're one to see a skeleton pop out of a closet. And I think what happened in that case was actually that Bess was like, Oh my God, something has my hair. And they, they looked and it was a skeleton. Um, and then Mr. Marsh is like, Oh, Yes, um, one of Phipps' friends was a medical student. And I stared at the book at this point and was like, it's real. It's a real skeleton. Fucking hell. <laughs> because I seriously had thought that it was just like a very elaborate Halloween prank. Because they were like, oh yeah, they were decorating for Halloween one year. And I guess he just left it here. And I was like, No. And I know a lot about how they obtained corpses for medical students. So, 
Mm, I mean, you're strike one, slave quarter, strike two. You have the skeleton of somebody who is most likely a poor black person in your house. Strike three, like, oh my, you're just waiting for it now at this point. All you have to do is say Beetlejuice three times and, and the shit is on. So anyway, there's a fucking skeleton. They don't, they just leave it there. They continually leave it there. <laughs> They're like, cool. I guess this attic just has a skeleton in it and we're just going to let it chill there. We're not going to name it or anything. We're just going to let it hang out. Also, Nancy points at it and refers to the chalk-colored bones. And I was like, okay, so also a a legit human skeleton would not be chalk-colored. So at least there's that. At at least you're letting me cling to the hope that this was fashioned out of paper mache and is not at all a human being. It's fine. Um, They look around the attic and they keep finding, like, old shit. And you're like, of course they were. But it's expensive old shit. And so Nancy's like, oh... I will take this to my friend, the antique dealer, and get some money for it, which, whenever I read this, I was like, I said, okay, he's, he stripped the house of everything else that he thought had any sort of value whatsoever. The only thing left is whatever he's got in the attic. He's hoping that the music's in the attic. Nancy keeps not finding the music in the attic, but she keeps finding other stuff like shoe buckles and Courier and Ives prints and band boxes with pictures from American history on them and like little antique bottles like she just keeps finding this shit and she's like oh I will take it to town and and get some money for it and I'm like dude already has like nothing and you're like let me take more of your shit let me just take more of your shit and take it to somebody in town and just get like a hundred dollar check for it it's fine side note a hundred dollars at this point would have been close to seventeen hundred (laughs) now and so whenever she brings home some checks um Mr. March is like I mean, this is good and all, but I mean, I'm I'm going to need some more money. And you're like, no shit, Sherlock. Like, you're going to need some more money. You're going to need to start working Wendy's. I don't know what's going to happen. Like, something. But anyway. So that's what keeps happening. Nancy keeps searching the attic, hoping that she's going to stumble across something. Because, like, slowly, Mr. March remembers that, oh, yeah, he used to come up here and play music in the attic. So maybe there's some sheet music up here. Like, there's also... Here's the thing. When um, Mr. March is staying at Nancy and her father's house, Nancy has a radio on, and Mr. March is like, oh, that's one of my son's songs. Like, he's he is just flat out yelling about this shit. He is not happy. And Nancy's like, are, are you sure? And he's like, yeah, I'm sure that this is one of my son's songs. Somebody fucking stole his music, and I ain't here for this shit. So not only does he want to find the music, he also now knows that somebody has fucking stolen some of the music. Not all of it. Apparently it was a bunch of it. Um, But yeah, so now somebody's apparently published it. And that makes it even worse because Nancy's talking to her dad and he's like, yeah, now now he has to prove that it was his first. So that's awkward. So um, let's switch over to the B plot. Uh, (laughs) Pause, side note. So the B plot here is that remember Diane died? Her dad owns a factory, which makes shit, and, no, things, fabric, I, it doesn't fucking matter, fabric, we're just gonna say fabric, um, but somebody else, Mr. Bowers, I think it is, um, thinks that Mr. Dite's factory has stolen one of his processes via, you're gonna love this, Bushy Trot, which, you know, if one's gonna need a drag name, I'm not saying that Bushy Trot is the best he can do, but I'm also saying that Bushy Trot is going to be a look. You know this. Anyway, so apparently Bushy Trot worked for Mr. Bowers for a while, and then he abruptly quit and was working, and now he's working at Mr. Dice Factory. And so Mr. Bowers is like, I'm pretty sure they stole my process, my super secret process, and then he gave it to this other bitch. So, of course, Nancy and her father go tour the factory to see this super secret process so that they will know if it's being duplicated. Um, so here's the thing. This book is full of fucking spiders, and that is what Mr. Bowers is using in his factory. He is actually using, uh, what? Oh, orb orb weaver spiders. That's the kind that he's using. So he's got a bunch of them, and they are making fabric for him. Like, he's using their webs and some sort of other process to spin this into fabric. This kind of gossamer-esque. 
Um, so he shows Nancy this really pretty yellow dress and Nancy's like, this is fabulous. I would love to wear this. So anyway, Nancy has to figure out a way to like get an end to the factory. And so she's talking to Bess and George and she's like, I got to find some way to talk to Diane. And they're like, I thought you did not care for her. And Nancy's like, I do not care for her whatsoever, but I just need to, for reasons. And they're like, oh, you got a mystery. Okay. So George is like, oh, well, my mom is seeing her dressmaker. And I mean, that's a thing, you, you know, you could try that. So um, Nancy manages to go over to the dressmaker with George's mom, who is having a dress made for some sort of function. And the dressmaker's like, oh, yes, I'm making a dress for Diane for a thing. And you're like, it's the dance. It's the fucking dance. She's making Diane's dress for the dance. Um, but she's going to be a little bit late with it. And Diane is coming back into town from Emersonville. And Nancy's like, sure, that that's reasonable. You know, college town where Ned is. It's fine. Um, so Diane's coming back into town, but her dress is going to be a little bit late. And also her mom wanted to see her, says the dressmaker. And you're like, what was everything in River Heights? Just a constant game of telephone where you're just hopeful that somebody will stumble across somebody else who might know something. Anyway, so Nancy manages to go to the train station. And of course, as soon as Diane sees Nancy, she's like, oh shit, the jig is up. She's like, oh, uh, and she tries to like, just give her the cut and just walk by her. And Nancy's like, oh, hey girl. Hey, um, your dress is really cute. And Diane's like, your dress is cute also. <laughs> we have to observe the formalities. We are ladies. So Nancy's like, oh, oh my gosh. So the dressmaker said to tell you that your dress is not yet ready. And Diane's like, that bitch. I want, I need that dress for reasons. Oh my God. I'm going to go just yell at her and it's going to be fantastic. And Nancy's like, cool. Also, your mom needs to see you. So let's, let's go to your dad's factory. Like, oh, it was your dad who needed to see you. And Dan's like, sure, that's fine. So they go to the factory and Nancy's talking to Miss Jones, who is the secretary for Mr. Dite. And she's like, oh, um, I would love to see this place while Diane and her father are having their little confab. And maybe I could take a tour at some point. And Miss Jones is like, sure you can, honey. You can do that. Um, I can show you around some stuff. So Miss Jones takes Nancy to like the main room and she's like, oh, look, and here's some equipment. And then she hears the intercom and she's like, I'll be right back. And Nancy's like, perfect. So she starts wandering around and she's like, I see this door. This says no admittance. And I also see a man matching the description of said bushy trot, which again, sounds like a euphemism for genitalia. Um, walking into the super secret room. So she, um, I think think that she's not actually able to get in like I think he closes the door behind him quick enough that she's not able to get in so she figures out she's like I've got this so she goes up to the room and screams directly into the crack in the door so that somebody in there will like come out and so she's just laying on the floor when they come out <laughs> she's like oh I need water uh, uh. and so he takes her into the secret room and so she's able to look around and she's like, oh, water. So, so when he's gone to get her glass, she's like, yes, yes, I see things. So many things. Um, <laughs> so she's pretty sure that some shit's going down in here. She's just not sure enough. Like, yeah. So um, Diane, in the meantime, has talked to her dad for two minutes and then left the factory and leaving Nancy there to fend for herself. And so she just goes home as one does, you know, she goes back to the A plot. Um, yeah, we're going to just kind of cut through a lot of the A plot stuff. So here's the thing. There's a skeleton in the attic. God, that sounds so, so euphemistic, doesn't it? Oh my God. Like it's Mrs. Rochester. <laughs> She's been there the whole time. Um, there's a rifle in the attic, which goes off at one point. There's a black widow spider in the attic that bites Effie. Effie's like, that skeleton bit me, <laughs> which I thought was hilarious. Nancy's like, a skeleton did not bite you. That is not a thing. Something else did. And so they look at her finger and Nancy's like, yeah, that's a fucking black widow bite. I'm going to have to take you to the doctor. Um, so they have to treat Effie and they're like, good thing that you got here in time because that could have gone real bad for you. Um, and of course, Effie's like, the things I do for this bitch. So, um, 
Susan, of course, is just all over the place, and she's nervous that her grandfather is going to leave her. She loves to play with Nancy. Nancy tells her a, a fun story about spiders. I'm like, Nancy, why do you know stories about spiders? Nancy's like, yes, they like to hide in holes in the ground, and then they pop out, and they're they're just really nice. And then that spider bites Effie, and Susan's like, I thought you said spiders were nice. And Nancy's like, all except for that one. But we killed it, so it's fine now. <laughs> Nancy, all about lying to children. Um... So, yeah. They can't find it. They find a bunch of other shit in the attic, but they, they can't find it. At one point, due to things, I think somebody trips on the stairs. Anyway, um, they end up ripping part of the wallpaper, and they pull off some of it and see that there's some actual music written behind the wallpaper. And then there's a note that says, like, composed by Phillips, Phipps' mom. And so they're like oh, this is proof that the song is his, and, like, they're doing everything they can to, like, anything that's gonna make it sound like somebody else composed this music. Yeah, because Nancy actually writes to the person who is publishing the music. She finds out his name. She's like, I need the address for the person who says that they composed this music immediately, and so he actually comes out to Mr. March's house and is like, Who's trying to start some shit? And Nancy's like, that would be me. And the guy's like, look, I did not know that a teenager wrote that letter or I would not have even come here. I have no doubt in my mind that this music was published by the person who says it was and goodbye forever. And Nancy's like, oh, fuck this. Um, because another song has come out under a different name. And it's also one that Mr. March says his son composed. And Nancy's like, are you absolutely sure? And he's like, yes, I'm 100% sure. And Nancy's like, okay, so things just got more complicated. So um, after that happens, Nancy actually decides to go confront dude who lives in some sort of shithole. Um, <laughs> Nancy, Bess, and George take the train out there, and they're like, there is nothing here. It's, it's just a shithole. It's just an industrial place that's really bad. Um, when they go in there, the person who's serving as receptionist slash stenographer is just snapping gum and just ignoring them. And then it's like, what you want? And Nancy's like, to see Mr. Jensen. And the girl's like, he ain't seeing new people right now. He's talking to somebody else. Nancy's like, please tell him I called, like with all the dignity. And the girl's like, I'll be right back. And then she comes back and she's like, he ain't seeing you. Bye. So Nancy goes and eavesdrops and hears that, oh, that... Nancy Drew has found out that maybe the music has sketchy things going on. Like, we need to be careful and maybe cancel that thing in Emerson. Pause. Nancy, after finding out there's a dance, and after finding out that Ned apparently has decided that he's not going to invite her, which, of course, she's like, why would he do this? I'm so sad. Like, she keeps trying to play it off, but she's like... She gets actually fucking distracted at a few points during this book where she's like, why did Ned not invite me to the dance? And you're like, he's afraid that if he sees you again, he's going to marry you. No, it's fine. Um, so almost immediately, actually, after she's found out about the dance, Horace Lally has started bugging her, like calling her up on the phone and being like, hey girl, we're going to that dance together. And she's like, no, we fucking are not. Um, I have to wash my hair like 42 times, so goodbye forever. But he keeps calling. He keeps calling her house and being like, so I'm going to pick you up at 7. And Nancy's like, you are fucking not going to pick me up ever. Goodbye forever. Except for in polite ways. So then he calls up Bess and George and is like, you need to convince her to come to the dance with me. And so they come to Nancy's house and they're like, look. If Ned doesn't want to invite you, first off, he is a grade A asshole for not inviting you. But second, what you need to do is go to the dance with Horace and then he will see this and be like, why did I not invite her? She is the love of my life. And then you two will get back together. And Nancy's like, shh, just what are you doing? Just please. She's deeply embarrassed by all this. She's like, I don't. And of course, because she hasn't been able to talk it out with Ned, she doesn't know what's going on, and she's got other shit that's going on, and she's trying to distract herself, and it's all bad. Um, yeah. So they're like, well, Horace called us and was like wanting us to persuade you to go to the dance with him, and Nancy's like, please tell him to roast in hell. I am not going to the dance with him. Oh my God, I do not like him. He is apparently a senior and completely full of himself, and Nancy's like, no. 
it's Ned or no one. And since it's not Ned, it's going to be no one. And I'm going to have to fake my own death. <laughs> Basically. She is that committed to not going with some other asshole. Okay, so everything in this book is super incestuous in that um, Diane Dite, the queen bitch of all this, is like cousins with Horace Lally, the dick who is trying to invite Nancy to the dance, ignoring Ned's presence and everything about him, and the fact that Ned is 100% perfect and a paragon of manly virtue, and you can just suck a dick. Horace Lally. So, um, like, yeah, they're, they're cousins or something. It doesn't fucking matter. Um, because I don't think they're ever seen or heard from again after this book. <laughs> Such is their deep shame. Um, Nancy contrives to go out to the factory again. Um, she finds some cute little bottles in the attic and is like, oh, well, um, Mrs. Dite is into collecting tiny bottles, so this is perfect. So she takes them out there and she's like, I, um, wanted to just say thank you for letting me look a, I don't know, um, here's a bottle, would you like a bottle for reasons? Anyway, so she lets, um, Mr. Dite look at them, because of course he would want to buy them for his wife, um, but she also sees Bushy Trot, and she's like, I, I have to go powder my nose, bye, so she runs out and follows him. Bushy Trot is going to another part of the factory that's kind of like off to a side and has to get into it with a key and Nancy manages to sneak in and she goes into her room and she sees that there are not orb weaver spiders, no no bitches, black fucking widow spiders who are knitting behind glass. Spinning? Spinning behind glass. We'll go with that. Um, so Bushy Trot looks around like tinkers with some shit, walks out, Nancy's looking around, and she's like, okay, so I need to get samples of these chemicals, so she's got two of the little bottles, and she gets samples of two of the chemicals, but then, um, is overwhelmed by some fumes, and passes the fuck out, as one does, um, yeah, so she, like, she left the light on, because, you know, of course she did, and she passed it out on the floor, and Bushy Trot noticed that there was a weird smell, came back in, opened a window, like, turned off whatever the fuck was happening to make this happen, and didn't notice that Nancy's soon-to-be corpse was on the floor, so he left, um, Mr. Dyke was like, where did Nancy go, she just brought me some bottles, and we're about to close the factory for the night, and everyone's like, we, we don't know, we, we have not seen her, um, so, yeah, so they just leave her there, and eventually, she comes to, because, of course, the window was open, and the chemicals dissipated, and she's like, oh my god, that was, that was really fucked up, um, she sees a black widow spider, like, two feet away from her, and kills it, because, yes, correct, um, sorry, but yes, she manages to get out before the night watchman finds her, because, of course, the night watchman noticed that the light was on, and she knows that Mr. Dice probably gonna come back, and, she, you know, she just, like, hauled ass out of there, so, anyway, she got out, found a cab, went home, of course, at that point, like, Mr. Dite had called her house and been like, is Nancy there, and they were like, no, so, of course, Carson and Hannah are like, we were so worried about you, and Nancy's like, I, yeah, it's been rough, I need to go to bed, so she goes upstairs and goes to bed, and she has a dream that, um, she's, she's in a dangerous situation, and Ned parachutes in through the window and saves her, <laughs> because she's still real worried about Ned, um, yeah, like, I have to say that Flying Saucer Mystery, which is the book that features Nancy having a dream where she and Ned are telepathic and able to fly and are just having a conversation with each other in their heads, which I was like, how dare you hit the bingo card of everything that I've ever dreamed of. Um, this takes a close second of Nancy having been partially deceased thanks to chemical fumes. Is like, Ned is going to parachute in through a window and save me. And it's fantastic, especially given what happens at the end of this book. And I'm probably going to fucking read it aloud to you because I loved it that much. Anyway, um, she wakes up the next day. She goes back to her, Mr. March's house. There's a lot of just like, oh, also, there's like a tunnel under the factory, which, side note, Nancy Drew books made me think that there were tunnels under like fucking everything and hidden passages and all sorts of things that if you would tap on, you would find that they were hollow because it would sound slightly different from the things around them. And there would be little knot holes, like also quicksand. So many things that I was expecting to happen in adulthood that really have not yet panned out. Um, yeah. Yeah. 
so many tunnels, so, so little time. Anyway, Nancy goes back to the house. She's, um, there's somebody who's been prowling around. Effie saw them. Effie's been really nervous. So Nancy's pretty sure that whoever has been stealing music has, is not done yet. Like they're still there searching for music. And only, I think two or maybe three pieces at this point have been published. So, and Mr. March is like, there was plenty of music, like, and I would be able to recognize it. So she's pretty sure that that person has only found like two or three pieces so far. So of course they're coming back to find more. My question at this point, of course, was how the fuck would anybody know that there was music hidden at this house unless he had some sort of like a fellow soldier who was also a shithead or so anyway, so many questions. That's fine. Um, yeah. So Nancy takes the chemicals back to her dad who was like, I will have these analyzed. It will be fine. Um, eventually what happens is, and Horace, Horace at one point, actually, like Nancy goes outside of her house to sit on her porch and think about things. And Horace is just like, Hey girl. Hey, like he actually just fucking strode up onto her porch and sat his ass down and was like, Hey, beautiful you know, you're going to the dance with me. And Nancy's like, what the fuck? You are the absolute, why are you fucking stalking me? Can you please just step the fuck off? And Horace is like, there's going to be a big announcement. I shouldn't have said anything, but there's going to be a big announcement and you want to be there. Like it's, it's impacting somebody that you really like. And Nancy's like, Ned is, is Ned going professional? No, no, I I don't know. Um, What? (laughs) Anyway, so she does everything that she can, like short of faking her own death to be like, I, I, I'm not going to be alive. I'm like she fucking hates this dude. So she, um, and she actually mentioned the door. She's like, Oh, do you have anybody in your family who plays music? Because she found out that the person who was talking to Mr. Jensen had his same last name. And she's like, Oh, was anybody in your family musical? And he's like, Oh, well the surprise is kind of related to that. And also, yes, my uncle is very musical and so he leaves and Nancy's like, oh shit, like his uncle is involved in this shit because I heard his name. This is bad. So she talks to her dad. Um, at this point, they have figured out that Mr. Dyte does indeed have the proprietary formula from the other guys. So apparently it was stolen and given to him. And that's going to fuck up Diane. Also, um, this means that Horace Lally's uncle is also tied up in stealing music. He's just downloading shit left and right off Napster. Um, Metallica is very mad. Um, <laughs> so she's like, she's stuck in a bad place because at this point, um, Bess actually fucking calls her on the phone breathless and is like, Nancy, I've just found out. And Nancy's like, what? And Bess is like, that Ned is taking Diane to the dance. And Nancy's like, Jesus Christ. (laughs) Um, when she was at Diane's house to like pick her up for shenanigans, um, she noticed that there was a letter in Diane's hand and she, of course, being herself was nosy and looked at the return address and saw that it was Ned who wrote the letter. The book does not reveal that to you at that point. She's like, I can't imagine why that person would be writing Diane a letter. And so later it's like, Oh, she saw Ned's name on it. And like, it was a nasty shock to her. Um, so Nancy finds out that Ned's taking Diane to the dance and they're like, we don't know why he would do this. She's a bitch. She's just a cold, stone cold bitch. She's selfish and spoiled and not you. And we hate her. And Nancy's like, why would he do this to me? Why would he do this? Um, so she's actually searching through the love letters for another um, hint for the secret code to find out where the the songs might be hidden. And she inadvertently, the book tells us, lay them next to Ned's picture his smiling photograph, which is at her bedside, and you're like, of course it fucking is, because every morning and every night, Nancy likes to wake up to see the man she loves. Um, so she looks at the picture, and she fights her impulse to put it in a drawer so that she doesn't have to look at it, because she's she smiles at him sadly and is like, I just don't want your good name to be dragged through the mud if you escort Diane to this dance, because her father's a thief. And I'm like... I love that Nancy is supposed to be showing us how we would react in this situation when it's, I would smash everything and I would go up there and key some shit and find out what the fuck is going on in your head. It's fine. But Nancy's very much like, he he's a free person. He can do what he wants to. I'm not going to interfere with that. I'm just going to be super, super hurt and possibly release a 10 minute version of a previous song where I just drag his ass. So anyway, yes, Marissa, that was for you. Uh, <laughs> So yeah, so 
Nancy's upset and she talks to her dad and she's like, okay, so, also, the dance. And so Carson's like, okay, look, I, I know how you feel about Ned and he shouldn't have done this shit. Like, I'm just going to say that. I'm just going to say it. He should never hurt you. You are my my favorite of everyone. And he is an asshole if he's doing this to you. However, because you care so deeply about him, um, we can hold off on prosecuting Mr. Dyke until after the dance, which is just the most hilarious string of words in the English language. Like, I know he's fucked up, but I'm going to let y'all have a dance. A dance that Nancy does not even intend on... Think that she's going to attend. She's like, I'm going to fake my own death first, but please don't hurt Ned this way. <laughs> oh my God. Um, also, she doesn't want Horace to be like publicly, publicly humiliated if it comes out that his uncle stole this song and that like it's going to be somehow involved in the dance. Um, which again, Carson's like, it's mighty nice of you to care so much about these people who've hurt you so deeply. <laughs> and Nancy's like, I know, right? I'm, I'm going to go fake my own death now. So, yeah, yeah. So, eventually, um, she goes back out to the house. Um, there's another time that she, Bess, and George are dressed all in black and waiting outside to see who sneaks up and whoever comes up is scared off because Mr. Marsh comes out and it's like, Nancy, where are you? And the guy runs off and Nancy's like, what the fuck? Why would you do that? Why would you do that? And Mr. Marsh is like, I was scared that you were, had been hurt. I'm sorry. And Nancy's like, why the, oh, fine. Jesus Christ. (laughs) Anyway, so for the penultimate adventure, um, Mr. Marsh decides that he is going to keep watch because he is like, I was a soldier and also this book saved my life because I was almost shot and uh, it caught the bullet and Bess is like, oh my God, really? That's kind of terrible. Um, Okay. So he's like, I can take him. And Nancy's like, you, you're not the strongest. I mean, I'm just going to say it. I'm just going to put it out there. And Mr. March is like, I can do this. And Nancy's like, okay, honey. Sure, Jan. Um, so she decides to go up into the attic. She and Mr. March and Effie have discovered that there's a an obscure door behind the wardrobe, which first off gave me Narnia vibes because it's a door in a wardrobe. Second gave me skeleton key vibes, which is closer to things because again, skeleton. Um, so they find this like rough door that's been cut into it. And the door goes between the attic of the main house into the slave quarters. And you're like, of course it fucking does because everything goes back to the slave quarters. Of course it does. Um, so they find this little room and there's like a little piano in there and it's pretty much, there's like a guitar and Mr. March is like, oh yeah, Fib used to go to the attic and, and play music and we never knew where he was. And you're like, you didn't think to mention that until literally right now. Okay, honey. Sure. Just, you're doing great. Just keep doing what you're doing. Um, so yeah, so they look around and Nancy manages to find a little secret drawer in the piano, but there's only a note in there that says, we need more music. Riggin signed L. And Nancy's like, who is Riggin? What the? Okay. She can't find any more music. And Mr. March is like, they probably stole it all. And Nancy's like, probably not because they keep trying to break into the house. So I'm just saying. So on the night in question, Mr. March is standing guard. Um, Bess and George are probably doing dance prep. I don't know. Nancy decides to go up into the attic. She's found a book about old pianos. It is like, some of them have secret little drawers in these two places. And she's like, a second place. Which, of course, I'm like, of course you found a book talking about where secret things would be hidden. It's fine. It's fine. So she goes up there and she is observed while she's uncovering the second drawer, which is crammed full of music. And it's all signed from Fip. And she's like, oh my God, I found it. And then Bushy Trot, of course, it was him all along. You knew this. Bushy Trot comes in and he's like, you found it for me. And Nancy's like, what the fuck? And Bushy Trot is like, yes, you have found the music. I'm going to leave you here to die. I have a tarantula. And you're like, so we're going just full-ass Bond villain at this point. I mean, I'm here for it. Like, are we at camp level at this point? Because I feel like we are. When you have a character named Bushy Trot pulling out a tarantula to threaten you with, first off, I don't think they're poisonous. Second, like, Bushy Trot. Again. So he ties Nancy up. He puts the tarantula, like, near her and is like, yes. Maybe you will suffer from tarantulism, which will make you dance until you die. And Nancy's like, 
I don't like any part of this. <laughs> no part of this is sounding good to me. So he takes the music. He's like, yes, I've, I've been coming back to find it. And thank you for finding it for me. And, and thank you for finding this little note. I'm going to go burn that as well. Um, so he hauls ass. And actually, he takes the doorway between the main house and the like slave quarters, attic, music room thingy. And he nails up a board across the door so that they won't be able to get in and find her. And is like, ah, ha, ha, ha. And then leaves. So Nacy's laying there in the pitch darkness, knowing that there's a giant spider near her. <laughs> and is like, she thinks of everybody that she loves and is like, oh my God, Bess, my father, my father will, will hate that he's not seeing me again. Bess and George, Ned. And then she's like, oh my God. That's when she redoubles her efforts and she decides that she's going to, um, yeah. Let me see. Oh yes, that's the smelling photograph. Yes. So let me read aloud. Okay. She's trying to get away from where she is and, um, she's banging her feet on the door. She's trying to get anybody to, to hear her. Um, and then she hears somebody calling out, Nancy, Nancy, a voice called out. I'm, I'm reading aloud at this point. The cries could not be real. Yet they sounded as if they were. Nancy strained to hear better, suddenly daring to hope she thumped again on the attic floor. Nancy, where are you? shouted somebody. She had not imagined it. Now she could hear jumbled voices in the big attic. Again, her name was called. The girl thumped with all of her strength. Of course she did. The next instant, a body crashed against the door and it burst open. A flashlight shone in Nancy's eyes. Thank goodness you're alive, were the words she heard. The speaker was Ned Dickerson. <laughs> Best George and Effie crowded into the room after him, but the youth... Ned took complete charge of the situation. Of course he fucking did. His lady is in trouble. Springing forward, he jerked the gag from Nancy's mouth. Of course. Then he cut her fetters with his pocket knife and tenderly helped her to her feet. Yes, of course. Trembling. The supporting arm he slipped about her waist trembled. Nancy, if anything had happened to you, he mumbled. Why, I couldn't even bear to think of it. Nancy gazed at Ned in wonder. For a young man who had not been in touch with her for some time and had invited another girl to the Emerson dance, he certainly was not acting in character. Who did this to you, he demanded gruffly. Bushy trot, oh, Ned. Nancy felt lightheaded. As she sagged sideways, the boy picked her up. How good his strong arms felt. Please know, please know that my delight is boundless at this point. Oh, Nancy, you're ill. That brute has injured you. We're now at page 204. Before she could tell him she would be all right, in a minute Effie let out a horrible screech, her eyes bulging, of course. She pointed to the floor. They all looked. The horrible tarantula was not two feet away, still holding Nancy, because of course he is. Ned crushed the spider with its foot. Effie's scream brought out the, brought, had brought the Drew girl out of her momentary feeling of faintness. She released herself from Ned's arms. Girl, you need to get back up on that. Okay, so anyway... They're like, uh, have you found the old dude? Oh, side note, the book tells us that Bushy Trot, like, knocked him the fuck out before he went upstairs and, and harassed Nancy with the tarantula. So, old man is just passed the fuck out on the ground. Um, so, they need to go out and look for him. Nancy started after them, but Ned held her back. He gazed at the girl so intently that she blushed to the roots of her hair. And I'm like, hell yeah, he did. Are you telling me the truth, he begged. Are you really all right? Yes, Ned, really, she smiled at him. I was pretty scared for a while, I admit. But when you came, Ned, maybe you don't know it, but you saved my life. I shall always be thankful to you. It would have been my very great loss if I hadn't, he said fervently in a grin. She, again, she flushed crimson. And I'm like, girl, he wants to marry your ass. He wants to marry that ass. He released her hand and together they went downstairs quickly. Anyway, so, yeah. Um, they find the old guy... They're like, Bushy Trot, we have to find him. Um, Carson pulls up, of course, at the this moment that they need. And they're like, we got to go find Bushy Trot. We got to go get him. He was stealing the music. He got away with it. And he, he stole everything. And, and go get him. Um, Bess and George climbed in and in the front with beside the lawyer, leaving Nancy and Ned to ride in the backseat alone. She was amused at her chum's pointed action. But Ned was delighted. And I'm like, hell yeah, he wants to get some action in that backseat. You know, it was a big one. Nancy gave her father and her friends the story of her evening's adventure in detail. At Nancy's recitation of her experience of being tied up in the dark with a tarantula, Mr. Drew nearly went off the road, because of course. <laughs> you shouldn't take such chances, he scolded his daughter. What the fuck? What? What? She's not the one who wanted to fuck with a tarantula, for God's sake. Anyway, it's fortunate that my friends rescued me, replied Nancy cheerfully. It was just luck we did, Ned explained. 
um, tonight when I came back to River Heights, because of course you got to check on his lady. I bumped into Bess and George when I found out you weren't away with your father. I knew something was wrong. Even though it was late, we decided to come out here to square matters with you. I don't understand. I believe Diane Dyke pulled a fast one on both of us. You haven't received a telegram from me lately, have you, Nancy? Why, no, Ned, was the girl's reply. Then that practically proves it. So Diane tricked him, intercepted the telegram, um, replied with her own, etc. I should have telephoned afterward, declared Ned. Yes, you should have, bitch. She came to Emerson and tried to make it seem casual when we met. She got there not long after the telegram came, practically invited herself to go to the dance with me. But she's not going, he added firmly. You are, Nancy. Hell yeah, she is. She'd never forgive you, Ned, said the girl beside him. Maybe she didn't send the telegram at all. Nancy trying to be magnanimous to the very fucking end, girl. Whether she did or didn't, you had the first invitation. I'll get the telegraph company to prove it. Nancy laughed, and she said in a low voice, One day I called on Diane and saw the envelope of a letter you had written her. I admit I had a shock because... Yes, because she doesn't seem like the kind of girl you'd be writing letters to. Oh, that had hoped Nancy was going to say something different, that she was violently jealous. <laughs> Diane had written to ask what kind of clothes to bring, he explained, which sounds like complete bullshit. Um, let's see. Yes, yes, yes. Yes. So they go to Mr. Dyke's house. Diane sees them and is like, Oh, I'm really sorry about the telegram because, of course, her dad knows nothing about this. And so he's like, you're getting no allowance for a hot minute. And she's like, you're the worst. You're mean. Meh, meh. Um, so they tell him that Bushy Trot clearly stole the formula from his previous employer and they need his address. And so um, at the end of it, they like they do a rundown, which is basically that Bushy Trot, as one would know, his his first name is Riggin. His Bushiness is due to his hair slash drag outfit. Who knows? Um, it's fine. He is he has served a stint in prison. Um then he was a servant for Ben Lally and Ben Lally was strapped for cash and needed some music and the weirdest possible shit that happened in this book is that Bushy Trot apparently was casing the March joint for, you know, whatever valuables they might have and happened to overhear Fib talking to his wife about his music and that he would leave it for her in the event of his untimely death because this of course is all normal and not contrived at all this is just what normal people do so it's fine um so yeah he admits to everything um yeah Horace had no part in it so he didn't um while his uncle knew that he was stealing music because clearly he knew he had not written the music Horace had no part of it he had just um figured out a cool orchestral arrangement for the music and that was the extent of his involvement um so Nancy and Ned are going to the dance together um Mr. and Mrs. Diet and Diane I have decided to spend several months on the west coast because clearly she's gotten knocked up and they're going to need to her see her through that um, they're taking horse with them, so maybe they will form a terrible bond. It's fine. They're both self-centered and full of themselves, so it's perfect. Um, Nancy has the yellow spider dress. <laughs> so she shows it to Bess and George, and she's like, this is what I'm going to be wearing to the dance. It's going to be fabulous. And they're like, oh, that's so cute. Um, let's see. The best item hadn't been printed yet in the newspaper, best replied, but it will be after the dance tomorrow night. What's that? Her friend's eyes twinkled. The society web page will carry a photograph which will read, Miss Nancy Drew, escorted by Ned Nickerson, was unquestionably the most popular young lady at the ball. Anyway, so that's that's like the end of the Nancy Ned stuff for this. I have to say that the yellow spider dress, which is not the way that it's ever referred to by anyone other than me, um, features prominently in a story that Little Miss Messy, the late Little Miss Messy, wrote, which I absolutely fucking love, which was an epilogue to a previous story she wrote where Nancy and Ned were on their honeymoon and had no knowledge of each other before this fact, but Nancy's wearing the dress when Ned's trying to go down on her. He's he's getting good at it. He's getting real good at it, and Nancy's like, just imagine that dance if, if I'd gone with Horace, and Ned's like, do not say that jackass's name when my hands are on you, and you're like... Yes, I'm going to melt into a puddle of goo, and I'm going to also put a link to that fanfic in the show notes so that you too can enjoy it, because I like to reread it often. I miss you, Little Miss Messy. You are fantastic. Anyway, so what have we learned? If you meet somebody named Bushy Trot, run or ask all sorts of questions. Also, Horace Jackass. Also, the fact that Nancy clearly is just 
she cannot even bring herself to say how fucking jealous she is of Diane. Like, she's overly nice to her in a pointed, like, I need to get something out of you way. It's, it is delicious to see the length that she goes to, to be like, no, it's fine. I can take somebody else to the dance. I'm going to murder everyone. Um, I fucking love it. I fucking love the fact that Ned looks at her so hard that she blushes that hard because she's like, should we have made out? Maybe. Yes. Maybe. Yes. 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 What, did, what happened in the backseat of Carson's car when they were on the way back after Nancy's harrowing adventure and Ned rescuing her and picking her up in his arms and holding her tenderly and her trembling and me being like, yes, all of this is a euphemism. Yes. I love it. I fucking love it. I love the idea that this is the first time they'd seen each other after something involving their secret marriage and that Ned was like, we can't let them know. But anyway... So that's this one. Uh, next up is going to be Clue on the Crumbling Wall, which is from 1945. And that's got like a brief Ned cameo thing happening in it. But otherwise, it's not a lot of Ned. But it is a lot of just really weird shenanigans. So it's going to be fun from that perspective. So I hope you enjoyed this. Like I said, I'm not going to ask you to rate this because, oh my God, how the fuck would one even rate this with like four stabby symbols? Who knows? It's fine. Anyway, so we'll be back doing Nancy Drew Mystery Stories for the rest of season six. I hope you enjoy. And as always, stay sleuthy, my friends.